Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Five o'clock hours here, Cofield and company. All right. Deep breath, right? Deep breath. We got Warrior Celtics coming up later in the week. The Thursday game, right? Oh, yeah. I can't, by the way, I can't keep track of their, their schedule's so weird. We got Stanley Cup final, the whole series beginning with the Avs and the Lightning. We got the big news today of Bruce Cassidy, Bruins coach, former Bruins coach, who got fired, going to be taking over the Golden Knights. So we'll hit that and a lot of Raider stuff with. Adam Hill, and I have a question for Adam. I'm, I actually, uh, Clay Thompson had a whole speech last night about the ocean. I want to find, do you think we have one anti-oceaner I, on Cofield and Company? I won't get my I could, This show is incredibly gripey. So I, I think we could have someone who may not agree with Clay Thompson. So Big Five is here. Um, baseball. Lance Lynn is back. Now, who is Lance Lynn? Pitcher for the Chicago White Sox. He's a he's he's a horse. And he's he's a, never been. He's six five, and he's a big. He's six five and like a two hundred and sixty pound dude. Stop. No, no. In the past, okay. Six five, two sixty. Like he's always been a zafty guy. So last night he comes back. He's getting knocked around a little bit, and then he, he got into a, what with former major leaguer and one of the coaches on the White Sox, Joe McEwing. Do you know what it was about? Uh, so this is the thing. I don't believe the reason, uh, but it is kind of funny given Lance Lynn's stature, physical stature. Um, Apparently, Lance Lynn is uh, hes a big steak guy. Really? And he allegedly told him, and this was a joke, I believe, uh, that Stop. ribeyes were better than, like, porterhouses. Or Stop. Like that. They weren't arguing over steaks. They, they were, they Stop. Were, Stop. They screaming Stop. at each other about Stop. it. Stop. That's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> that's, they, that's, no, there's no way. Uh, yeah. There's no way. Wow. Uh, Tony La Russa's really got it going on with the White Sox, huh? Yeah. He kept telling me, quote, filet is better than ribeye. Stop. I'm more of a ribeye kind of guy, and he's a filet and Caesar salad guy. So I just kept saying he was wrong, and he went back to coaching third. And Okay, so if that was actually Lance Lynn? Yeah. So he was joking, trying to cover up what it was about. Of course about. he was. Okay. I do like, That's kind of funny. I, I do like, like if that was real. Yeah. Like just telling him, almost like a water boy type thing, you know, like water sucks. Telling him, like, Lance, I got to tell you, man. Filet's way back. What? By the so way, he returns. Can I just say it real quick? Good. And this ties into what you're going to go to yeah, right yeah. now. Lance Lynn liking the ribeye over the filet. The fattier steak. It makes sense. Yeah. Right. It makes a lot of sense. He, so it's a knee, right? It's a knee I think he's had trouble with. Yeah, I think so. Now, if you remember, I probably did this rant about 10 times because it was the Yankees. Um, when you're that big and you're a professional pitcher, and you've got knee issues. And the reason I mentioned the rant with the Yankees was CC Sabathia. CC weighed like 330 pounds at one point. And I'm a fat ass. John's a bit, you know, beefy. We do radio, right? Like we don't have 15, 20, 25 million dollar contracts. I do think with athletes, there, there does have to there has to be a little accountability with conditioning. Lance Lynn is over 300 pounds right now. Yes. Off a knee. And I get it. Cardio is not as easy. But you got to do something, bro. Look at old Lance Lynn. I, I, oh, oh, Lance yeah, Lynn. oh, yeah. And, and I mean, yeah. he, but he's still a bit, he's 250 pounds but still, in, like, in his prime. But he, I mean, there's, it, there's a gut. There's freaking love handles. He's over 300 pounds now. Right. And like you said, I mean, when you're coupling it with the issues that you're having, yep. like that's that's kind of a problem. And like, like 
one of the differences, if I remember, you have a better baseball memory than I, but if I remember correctly with CC Sabathia, I mean, he was so used to pitching as like a bigger guy that when he lost all the weight, wasn't he terrible the year that he came back? And he wasn't good either. <laughs> like, he so kind of kind of flew in the face of, <laughs> right. of what I was saying, but I but I think he I think he he hurt his legs over the years by carrying so much weight. Yeah, um, it's not good. And while I celebrated last week about the two you know chubby catchers, uh, the oh, guy Kirk, Kirk, the guy Kirk yeah. and uh, Nastadio, yeah. and watching him run, you know, with pitchers, it's kind of dangerous. I. I tell you what, on conditioning, I thought yesterday's conversation was fascinating with Cindy Brunson from the. Uh, she's on the uh, broadcast of uh, WNBA games, and she calls them Mercury games. And she was with ESPN, and um, and she was talking about Liz Cambage, who used to play here. And Liz is a big lady. I mean, you're talking, you know, six eight and probably two hundred and thirty pounds, and you know, not not fat, but with the the changing game of the WNBA and running up and down the floor. She's not been good with the Sparks. She was terrible in the game, uh, the first game with the Sparks and the, the Las Vegas Aces. And boy, Cindy came on yesterday, and she just she just freaking let loose on you know Liz, just saying like she's not freaking dedicated to playing basketball. Liz never has been made for any style of basketball. How many seasons in a row have we said she's playing her way into shape? We are halfway through the month of June almost, and. The broadcasters for the Sparks are saying that line. Liz is playing her way in the shape. What teams need to realize about Liz is that she is more focused on being a Kardashian who plays basketball than a dominant basketball player. Oof. Yeah, and the playing into shape when your season's like 36, 38 games. You're already a third of the way (laughs) in the year. But how much time do you have? This isn't the NBA. You don't have 82 games. And by the way, it was annoying at the end of – uh, not even at the end, you know, like three quarters into Shaq's career when Shaq would have moments where, you know, he, he's playing himself into shape. Like, come on, not let's even, go. Not even just Shaq. You know who the guy who gets it now the most? Luka Doncic. He spends all offseason because he's a 19-year-old kid yeah. playing video games, you know, maybe having some libations and eating fried cheese and doing what kids do because he's 19, 20, and he comes into camp out of shape. And he, he's been hammered for it, and he's brought up that, and there's videos already now coming out of him working out already and getting ready for the next season. But, like, even great players do this, but you can't do it. And you deserve criticism. That's the case, especially when your season is this short. You have no time. Number four. On to the finals, the NBA finals. Last night's game was uh, fascinating, and now we're set up with a uh, do-or-die spot for the Celtics in game six. I have my rooting interest in this. Like, I don't like Boston, the, the city, the fans, right? Mm-hmm. But the Warriors annoy the crap out of me. What do you think of this one from a veteran scribe and Killian? She says, my boyfriend says the rest of the country roots against the Warriors because of Draymond. I counter that the rest of the country roots for the Warriors because of Steph. She says, discuss. Um, I ain't rest of the country. I don't like either one of them. So, the, to me, they're they're annoying for different reasons. But I do recognize Steph is awesome. And if he wants to be cocky and arrogant and turn his back after he shoots the ball, he's awesome. He's won them their titles. He can do that. I don't want to. I don't want to rehash Draymond over and over again. Do you think? Do you think there are a lot of people around the country who root for the Warriors because of Steph? No, I think it's neither. I think this is a battle of two evils. Okay. For a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. It's Boston. Yeah. Which I mean, this, I mean, it's Boston. Sickening. Right. Boston stinks. Right? Sick, sickening. And you know what? I, I'm not. Again, I don't want to sit here and go. Yeah. You know, you young guys don't even realize it. Yeah. I don't. The 80s. 
into the early 90s. And really going back to the 60s, that's before my time, but especially the 80s and the Celtics of the 80s. I don't know how much of the country outside of Boston could root for him. And maybe Indiana because, you know, Bird was from French Lick. So annoying. But you're right. It is battle of evils. And the other side of it is, and I think what I would say is I think the stance from like the greater public of basketball fans has softened on Golden State, given the narrative of what Clay Thompson went through, losing Kevin Durant, making it back to this point with, you know, with the core and like a completely new surrounding cast. But I also think people also remember Steph Curry behind the back pass in the NBA Finals, the cockiness, the laughing at LeBron, the dancing on the grave of them, and then losing 3-1, all of those things, getting Kevin Durant. I think more often, like, more people are watching this and going, man, is there any way we could just, like, substitute somebody in? You forgot like, to throw in something else about Steph. Was at times, the family. Yeah. The, the wife. Family and his wife, yeah. So last Aisha. night at the postgame, he was wearing a T-shirt that said, Aisha Curry can cook. So I found a sign, I don't think it was Photoshop, but a sign in Boston, like on one of those uh, sandwich boards, is that what they're called? Whatever. Yeah. Uh, outside a restaurant that said, Aisha Curry can't cook. Now, you know, Aisha's, she's a restaurant owner, so she's got whatever that smoke place is, the barbecue place. She's got, I think she still has one here in town. Um, she's got like five or six of those. Do you think Aisha Curry made him wear that t-shirt? Okay. I, mean, I feel like this is so unfair. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're hesitating. But, you know the answer. Right, because I feel like it's also very plausible that she saw that. And by, by the way, not made him, not just made him wear the T-shirt, made the T-shirt. Oh, yeah. No, it was. <laughs> She's one, got the press at home. Do, like, do you think it was one of those where he was getting dressed and was, like, about to head out for the arena, and he, like, goes in and you know, gets out of the shower, comes into the bedroom, and, like, laid out there on the bed is the shirt. He's like, oh, it's this. And she's like, you're wearing that today. Yeah. And he's like, I've got this. $10,000 outfit that I want to wear. And she's like, nah, I ordered this from T Fury and you're going to wear this right now because a random shop on a sandwich board said I couldn't cook and we're going to respond. Number three. Rando on Twitter, but I love them. Doesn't mean they're any worse or better than us because they're sports fans. But some guy named Matthew said there should have been like 60 free throws for the Celtics. Almost every drive by a Celtics player, they were hit. Every time the Celtics were uh, in the bonus, they only shot two free throws, blah, 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 blah. Um, did the officials change the game and screw over the Celtics? Yeah, because the, the Warriors had 60 more free throws. Oh, wait, no. Celtics. The Celtics actually had more free throws. Yeah. But, yeah, but, John, you, but, but, John, you got it. You got to admit, there were a couple of pivotal moments uh, in the second half. The, the back-to-back fouls on Marcus Smart. Yep. That's the kind of flopping crap. And it was Tony Brothers, wasn't it? Veteran and Mark official, Davis, yeah. right? That's the kind of crap that drives people nuts. Not Mark Davis. So, so Smart got a tech basically for nothing. They're getting ready to start play again. And Poole kind of locks up Smart's arm as Smart is trying to just fend him off on an inbound. And Smart swings his arm through, does not hit Jordan Poole in the face, but Jordan Poole acts like he just got shot by a bazooka. Not- and they're like, no, that wasn't the T. Yeah. Another foul. And then Poole makes a jumper after the free throws, and it's like, bang, bang. And there, I, I, there was another one. I'm trying to get it right here. Uh, Tatum came down. Um, there was some contact as he was going to the hoop. He made the shot. They called it travel. And when they showed the replay, the yep. freaking hammer across the arm by Wiggins was there. And then the other way, there was a touch foul and and – and free throws. So, like, those are two big changes, and the game blew open from a close game to, like, eight or ten like that. I could add more. Jalen Brown on a putback attempt is completely fouled, and they they don't call it a shooting foul. Uh, there And here's the thing, and this is – Oh, and by these- the way, I didn't mention the – there was a – the um, let me get it right. So, the travel on Tatum led to Clay Thompson coming down. Yep. There was a fend-off, 
And Smart did embellish a bit, but he did get pushed. Right. He goes flying backwards, Clay three. Yep. No call. And, All right. and, and, and that made it 82-74, and then the other situation pushed it to 85-74. For me, it's like it was we're using all instances in which the Celtics were kind of screwed over by poor officiating. And I think that you could say the Celtics got screwed in multiple instances without saying it was the reason why they lost that game. And we say this all the time. And we, referees, the wrong referees, like to make it about them. They do. And they can't put their ego aside and just officiate a game. So at the beginning of the game, when Ime Udoka is talking to them and they yeah, tee him up because he steps an inch out of the coach's box... And Yudoka's sitting there like, I'm I'm still here, yeah. right? Because they just can't stand being spoken to or potentially showing up or being told that they're wrong. That's when you have a problem. And that's what the issue is. The Celtics didn't lose because of that. The Celtics lost because no. they committed huh. 18 turnovers. They fell apart. They, by the way, and they missed 10 free throws, which is also a massive yeah. deal. But if you're the NBA, I think you seriously have to look at the way some of these officials act. And on the biggest stage, by the way. And go, man, like we've got to cut into that. We gotta fix that because these guys have egos the size of the moon and it gets in the way of the game. Number two. I read a tweet last night. I'm not even gonna mention who it is. Is it mine? Not even gonna mention who it is. Most fortunate break of the playoffs. <laughs> Boston catching Milwaukee without Middleton. This is after the Celtics fall down three two. Wait a second now. Now Boston doesn't deserve to be here? This thing's been nip and tuck. Yeah, Come on, whole, John. I wholeheartedly disagree with this. I responded to this. I, I saw you did. So here, here's the thing. <laughs> Come on. We can do this with every single team, huh? even in just this postseason. Because I was told this before on an interview as well. Like, don't you think the Celtics are kind of lucky to be here? And I was like, don't you think Miami was lucky to be in the Eastern Conference Finals because Joel Embiid missed the first two games of that, se- that series and he clearly was a problem for them? The, the, the worst face a full healthy roster in any of the rounds before this John ja Morant averaged nearly 40 points eight rebounds and seven assists on 51 percent shooting against Golden State but the best part is because the people who the people think this right like hey they missed Middleton they got lucky like Robert Williams didn't play for four games of that series Robert Williams their best defensive player wasn't out there he doesn't score 40 points a game Chris Middleton doesn't score 40 points a game <laughs> right? That's that's a part that's part of the problem. Yeah. But the other thing is is you can just do this for everybody. But we don't do it for the Golden State Warriors, and that's the best part is my rebuttal was, well, John Moran averaged this. Are we doing this for Golden State? Warriors were Memphis wasn't winning that series. Oh, they weren't? Yeah, yeah we just oh, know. Oh, they weren't? Yeah, we just know. Okay, we just know this now, right? It's just it's the dumbest thing in the world, especially because when there are certain instances where you let I guess your loyalty is the right when you have a bet on some team and they're letting you down. And you want to take a shot at them because of you know, what's going on. It's not the right thing. And it's a stupid narrative. We can do it with every single title. Uh, Tom Haverstrow wrote a piece that two years ago. It was during the Toronto Raptors when they won their title. He found an asterisk for every single NBA title team. Every single one. You can do it with every single one of them. It's a dumb narrative. Number one. I think the Celtics with this group, if they can keep the core together, Smart, Brown, Tatum, and now Robert Williams, I think they can be a multiple-time title winner, right? Mm-hmm. He's just tough because the Bucks, you know, Bucks have I think the best player in the world. Giannis. We'll see what the Nets do. It's tough. It's tough, but they're young enough. And this is something I said, and, and you know, it was kind of like I got all excited back around 2018-19 when they were building the score. I was saying, hey, the Celtics, I think, could be the dominant team from 2019 to 2026. I said all of this up because I don't believe you. if no, I did repeatedly. <laughs> 
Now they they effed it up by making horrible transactions. You know, the, the Kyrie Irving didn't didn't work out and whatever. They still um, made it to the Eastern Conference Finals that year. How crazy is that? They're going to look back on this and really regret it. If they lose the series. If they lose the series. And I think they're going to lose it now. That was mediocre Steph. Steph Curry was 0 for 9 from 3. Was it 132 straight playoff games that he had a 3 in? Yeah, something like that. 132 yeah. in a row. And then I saw this note. Uh, let's see. Curry is the second player in NBA Finals history to take 9 plus 3 pointers. Miss all of them. The other was John Starks. Who went 0 for 11. <laughs> For the Knicks and their Game 7 loss to the Rockets in 1994. Wasn't our previous game when he was like 2 for 19? That's a lot um, for that, that era. Oh, he would, shoot, he, would, he would shoot it. That was his thing. Yeah. That was his thing. Um, we're talking historic, poor performance by Steph Curry. Can they win the series? Of course they can. Yes. But they're going to regret this big time. Yeah, oh, they will. Like, if they go on to lose the series. Like, But I will say this. I mean... I think I think reducing that game down to as simple as bad Curry game, you lost, missed opportunity. That was a quintessential Warriors game. It wasn't the same players as we've seen in the past, at least in terms of the depth pieces. But when Gary Payton II comes in, plays nearly 30 minutes, is plus 16, a best for the Warriors, is great on ball in terms of his defense, hits a corner three, grabs about five rebounds and contributes on that end of the floor. Like, that's what the Warriors have done in the past. Role players coming in. You know, one of the most important players for the Warriors in their dynasty run, like when they were first put together, we, you and I watched them together massive performances. They weren't like 40-point games. Sean Livingston, right? Sean Livingston was one of the most important pieces for them. Leandro Barbosa had really big games for them at the beginning of this run with the Steve Kerr era. Like, that's the quintessential Warriors game. And they played fantastic defense, and other guys stepped up in their roles, and it comes away with a victory. So I think overall, if you're the Celtics, you're right. You're ruining a missed opportunity because you were waiting to limit Steph Curry and you finally got it and you lost the game. But at the same time, I think the Warriors deserve credit because I thought they were really good in that game yesterday. Yeah, the one thing I didn't come away from the game with was uh, kind of griping about Golden State, that it was a cheap win yeah, or, or any of that. Uh, on the way back, I want want to hear from Brian Windhorst, who had, I thought, a weird take afterwards, like almost dismissing how good the Warriors are and the fact that Andrew Wiggins has stepped up. Cofield and company. Here comes Draymond Green. Beautiful pass, and Peyton banks it in. Oh, what a gorgeous bounce pass from Draymond Green. And that's the first time Green has really pushed the ball hard like we saw in Boston in game four. Here comes the money. Here we go. Here comes the money. Money, 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 money. There you go. The vast sound crew pulling some uh, Draymond Green highlights. That was a nice break. Good pass. Breen, JVG on the call. Over, under, points, rebounds, assists, 21 and a half last night. He had a triple single. It's not like he blew it out of the water. He had 23 total, 8, 8, and 7. But, but he had a good game. That's what he does. You know, I can appreciate when he has good nights. It's just when he gets out of control, you know, starts jumping on people, becomes counterproductive, is screaming at the officials. Uh, I saw... Uh, another you know Twitter comment from someone: Draymond Green would be retired five years ago if he didn't land with Steph and Clay. He's the only one who doesn't know this. No, nah, he wouldn't be retired. But he's 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 good on that team. That's what they need. And last night he had a pretty good game, so I'll give him credit. Bad Draymond is not fun to watch. No, and bad Draymond also needs to realize that when he gets in front of a mic, sometimes that <laughs> maybe be a little more humble. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Did you? I didn't see this. Uh, 
This is probably old. Did you see Barkley compare Draymond to like the worst guy in a boy band? No. Oh, you didn't see this? No. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, kind of like, you know, Draymond is extremely cocky, and that, that's what drives me nuts when you're like, dude, the great players on the team are the ones who are winning you the titles. You are a contributor when you, you know, you stay under control. Um, this was a back and forth. You remember Draymond was talking about Barkley. Right. By the way, Draymond already thinks he's God's gift to broadcasting. Let's see how it works out. You know, when he was ranting about, you will you will listen to my podcast. No, not going to happen. Um, but he talked about Barkley. He said he should stop before I take his job. Not smart enough, not qualified, no rings, can't sit at this table. Right? Uh, Draymond responded. Oh, check that. Barkley eventually responded to Draymond. He's like a guy in a boy band who's the least important member, and he thinks the crowd is cheering for him. <laughs> I guess we could have a whole discussion about boy bands and the least important. Who person. would be the? I was gonna say who would be the least. Important I don't. Person. You know what, dude? I don't, Adam would know. What's his, is he at Insync or Backstreet Boys? I can't remember. I always a, forget. Insync. He's one of the two. He's Insync. Yeah. So he could tell us who the least. Was important Fatone the least important? I. That's off the top of my head. Or JC. I don't. Exactly. Th- I think JC was kind of important. Not 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 JT important. We're not. We can't. We can't do this. We're not qualified to. Do, we're not qualified to do this. I think Lance Bass was two. JT obviously number one. There are five of them, right? You know, we should bring on Adam in a couple of minutes and talk about who is the least important in Boys to Men, which he'll flip that out on yeah. because he'll flip out on because they're, he's like they're, they're not boy a boy band. band. Here's Carr takes a snap, sprints off to the right, fires on the run, jackpot, baby! Touchdown, Raiders! Hunter Infro. You know, we've been on a journey the last three years since I've been here, but with Coach McDaniel's and the new staff coming in, um, kind of brings a different element. So laying the foundation with that. And um, just kind of visualizing the season this next month. So glad to get it done. Very thankful and appreciative. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Rolling on in the five o'clock hour, Cofield and Company. Just to deliver on what we were saying earlier, you uh, you saw the comment by Brian Winhorst talking about yeah, you know that was a three hundred forty million dollar win for the Warriors. Do you think he was misconstrued? I think a little bit. It was a weird way to frame it, yeah. I think. I think he was – with the angle he was going for is just that the Warriors executives and ownership just weren't giving up on the team. Right. And, they, and just they, were, they kept paying to keep everyone around. Right, and they were willing to look past everything that happened, Steph Curry breaking his hand, the 15-win season, losing in the play-in, kind of believing in Clay Thompson and willing to shell out the money because they knew they could get back here. I don't think it was like an evil empire, you know, the haves and the have-nots type of deal. Adam Hill is with us. Part of the company – from the RJ, Adam, how you doing, buddy? I mean, you're not going to bring me down off my cloud nine. We we are one win away from a title. <laughs> just years, just years after suffering through one of the worst seasons imaginable, we are on the precipice of raising that trophy again. I'm not bringing you down. Five minutes ago, I was actually giving okay. Draymond Green compliments. How unusual wow. is that? I know, yeah, I know. Weird. I'm bought in. Now, he won me a bet, so maybe I'm not objective. <laughs> maybe he affected me a little bit. The pro that... This leads, can I just say something really quickly? You can say whatever you want. I have to make a proclamation. Yes. Uh, And I was planning on doing this at some point, but since Adam has come along and made his proclamation, I'm going to say this right now. It's over. The Boston Celtics Celtics are winning the next two games and winning the NBA title. And the Warriors will never be back in the NBA Finals again. I got to go. I can't. I can't stand for this. I'm good. I'm glad you didn't jinx our victory, John. Uh, just let us have it. We're going to win one of the next two, hopefully. Uh, I'm not going to count anything yet, but I think we're there. We got this. It's really good for a downtrodden franchise that has nothing going for it. A couple years ago, just couldn't even couldn't give away tickets 
to go in and sit in that new building with right. that with that rebuilding roster, and now look where we are. Adam, you got a lighter week this week than you expected because the Raiders were uh, supposed to have media availability today. I want to find out in a couple minutes why they canceled this week's activities. But uh, in that place may go a press conference with VGK management and a new coach. So your reaction to Bruce Cassidy? Yeah, Thursday morning. We'll check it out. Um, I, I think it's interesting. Like You look at what he did in Boston. Obviously, he was very, very successful. Uh, and that was with a roster that he took over that was ready to compete, right? I mean, he, he took over as an interim coach midseason and had a very, very good roster. And he's had a lot of success with them. He's been in the playoffs every year and uh, has a very, very shiny record. Um, and I think that makes sense for the Golden Knights. Right? I mean, they're kind of in the same position. This is not a rebuilding roster. This is a roster that is built to win right now, that needs to try to win right now. Uh, and he seems like a guy that can get that done. Now, will he be the coach in five years when maybe this team starts to rebuild a little bit? Maybe not. Um, it sounds like, you know, his message kind of wears thin on guys after a certain amount of time. seems like there's a lot of accountability, and um, you, you never know how that's going to work. Uh, but I think this is a team that's also ready to hear that message, right? Uh, this is a team that understands that they they did they fell short of expectations for whatever reason. Um, it's it's a new message, a new voice that's coming in, and maybe they're ready to hear that you know hardcore disciplinarian type voice for at least a little while. And as long as they're successful, I think um, they'll listen to them. So I, I have a couple of things, but first off, the first angle for me, and you kind of hit on it, which is you know the veteran-laden squad and you know connecting with a dude who clearly enjoys himself, some veterans. But there was also quotes and a lot of reports coming out of Boston that there were guys who, and maybe they were skewing younger at him, but there was some little division in that locker room in Boston who didn't enjoy the way that he treated some of the players. How do you think that translates in Las Vegas? Yeah, like I said, I, I think it, it wears thin, right? I think they'll they'll be welcoming and receptive to the message right away um and I, you know listen it's it, i think anytime you have a new coach and a new voice we see it all the time uh where teams have that kind of bounce from it especially when it happens during the season but i, I think that they'll they'll be receptive right away they'll buy into it especially with the veterans that are there um there's probably you know some pre-existing relationships with some guys even if they haven't necessarily played for them like it's a small circle in the in the nhl so uh i'm sure that they will you know they'll know him a little bit. They'll get they'll they'll hear that message and they'll be open to being kind of driven hard, uh, at least for a while. But that message wears thin when you don't win a title after a couple of years when it hasn't worked to the highest level. And you know it sounds like that's that's a message that they were willing to hear in Boston for you know about five seasons. But maybe it kind of wore thin at the end when there was nothing to really show for it necessarily outside of you know getting to the playoffs every year and being close every year. Um, I think they they need to win, but everybody understands they need to win here. So. I think it makes a lot of sense to bring a guy like him in. So my other and my other question was: It seemed that was reading a report out of the Athletic uh, that there was a division between him, his general manager, and that they were at odds in terms of the way that it was going, in terms of the way they wanted to play the actual game on the ice. And yeah. I, I've seen that, or at least from my vantage point on the outside look again, it seems that there has been a disconnect between the front office and the last two head coaches by the Vegas Golden Knights. Why would this be any different? Well, that's I was I was going to tell you. Uh, sounds familiar, right? right. <laughs> Disconnect between the coach and the front office, and now they want to play out on the ice. Uh, well, listen, we know McPhee and Cassidy have a pre-existing relationship. They've worked together before, um, and clearly, it worked, you know, to some degree, or else they wouldn't have wanted to reunite here. So, um, I think that bond is at least going to be there. And we know that that lasts as long as the team is having success on the ice. And if they start off next year very slow and it's not looking good and it's not working out, I'm sure we'll hear about disconnect between the coach and the front office here as well. Adam Hill is with us. He's back in tomorrow for the full show as the company. By the way, tomorrow, Adam, I haven't told you about all the guests, but uh, Marty Cordova 
will be with us. Oh, our guy. Yes, yes. And he may deliver a, a special guest, but I won't mention who it is until we're closer to it. Oh, boy. Tomorrow, yes. Uh, <laughs> so, let's uh, – I know, right? Let's <laughs> let's talk about the Raiders. Uh, they canceled activities this week. Does mm-hmm. that mean they did yeah. nothing, or what did they actually cancel? It means they've done so much work, and they're so far ahead of schedule that they can just take a couple of days off. Um, no, I mean, I think – listen, it, it was it was always going to happen. It usually happens every year with every team uh, that you either cancel the last day of the three-day mandatory minicamp or – you cancel one of the one of the OTA sessions. Um, guys can still be in the building, but they just cancel the on-field practice, and that means no availability for the media. Um, I, I think it's just a sign that they're getting a lot done what they want to get done. And last week we asked um, on Wednesday afternoon, we asked Josh McDaniels, you know, are you comfortable at this point with everything that you've put in, like kind of taking a pause on the rest of the offseason? And he said, well, not right now. And that was Wednesday afternoon. So they practiced Thursday, and then he was willing to put a pause on it for this week. I think it's one of those things you give the guys – a little bit of a break. You start their summer early. Um, you know, you, the offseason is so short. Like, we saw they were right back on the offseason uh, activities right after the draft. And like, there's no rest. Uh, this is a chance for the guys to get an early start on maybe some vacations. Uh, they don't have to be back until, well, we don't know the date yet, uh, off the record. So uh, about a month from now, uh, they'll be back in the building to start training camp. They get a week before everyone else does in the league. So I think that way is into it as well. Uh, you just get a little bit of an early start on your uh, on your real break here. This is the real the real time off for NFL players is right now until the start of training camp. So they get a couple day early head start on that. And I'm sure the players appreciate it. John, did you want to bring up the uh, PFF defensive line rankings? Oh yeah, the nerds are at it again. Cliff Kingsbury, <laughs> fourth over fourth best that's what they said, fourth best head coach in the National Football League. And also Adam, the defensive line of the Las Vegas Raiders, nineteenth in the NFL. Blasphemy. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, the the, the off season rankings are really, really tough, and I think even when you talk to PFF guys and hear their uh, their breakdown, I think it's tough because you have to project what happened last year and what guys are going to look like this year, and also project how they're going to fit in different systems, uh, how they're going to play off of each other. We haven't seen it yet in a lot of cases. We don't know what the system is going to be like, so I think that plays into it a little bit as well. What is Max Crosby's role going to be in particular in this defense? We don't know. I mean, when when Patrick Graham first came in, there was the thought of like, well, how do how do Max Crosby and Unique Ngakwe both fit in this system. It doesn't work. Well, we saw them trade Ngakwe right away because it wasn't going to work. Uh, but I think that they envision a very, very impactful role, certainly for Crosby. Uh, I think they've got a lot of big bodies along the middle, and, and I think that's the right thing to do in the offseason. You stockpile those big bodies, and somebody's going to work out there. Uh, so I, I think that there's a lot of projectables for the Raiders' defensive line, but we also haven't seen it yet. And uh, I know that, I listen, I love PFF as much as you do. I love breaking down all that stuff. I'm on the site every single day. Literally, I have it in front of me right now. I'm looking at some stuff. Um, but it translates to exactly zero wins uh, on the field. So I, I don't think anybody cares in the long run. It's just fun to talk about in the offseason. I also did the media thing where I just completely gave a surface-level analysis of the actual rankings because it was actually somewhat complimentary despite being ranked 19th. <laughs> they were the Tier 4, which is great edge duo, weak interior which I think sure. is a fair criticism of the defensive sure. line, but but I, I don't know I don't know if it's fair. Look, I mean they've got they've got bodies in the in the middle, and I think they brought in they brought in a bunch of guys that they think are going to fit, and they don't need they don't need that impactful like go get the quarterback fight off you know Aaron Donald type guy in the middle. Like they need a space eater guy uh, who can just create space and chew up blockers and allow Crosby and Jones to do what they're going to do. Right, so uh, I, I also think we're kind of overlooking the fact that they've got bodies and they're going to find somebody in that mix 
to really step up and and be impactful once the season starts and allow those guys to go get the quarterback. And if they don't, then hey, they'll probably be even lower on the rankings next year. But I think there's enough options there potentially that they can make it work. Adam, we got to switch gears, switch lanes, change gears, whatever. I thought you were um, going to say ski daddle. No, 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 not ski daddle. Um, I got to throw a couple of lighter topics at you that we've been talking about today. First of all. Did you see Clay Thompson talking about the ocean last night? If not, if the audience didn't see it, give me a little Clay ocean. It doesn't matter what time of the year it is, the bay, you know, it can be cold, but when it's one of those days where it's in the low 60s and the sun, sun is shining, you, I, I make it a point to jump in the ocean. I just think the ocean has healing properties that a pool might not have or a cold tub and just to be immersed in nature like that, it just, it really makes me happy and Honestly, you just feel a little clo- closer to God when you look up at the beautiful skies. And I'm an Aquarius, so I just have always loved the water my whole life. And it really is my happy place besides the hardwood. All right. Warriors lose. We say uh, nice and classy Boston. Warriors win. And it's Utopia. And we're talking about the ocean. Adam, I don't think I've ever talked to you about the ocean and the beach. And you just got back from Mexico. But are sure. you a pro-ocean or anti-oceaner? I love being by the ocean. By it. Yes. Okay. Well, okay, but what's that's not what, that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about the healing of the water. You're not going to make me trash Clay Thompson when he's got us close to the title. You're an anti ocean. You don't like the water. Silly. It's silly. What are you What are you doing? You don't like uh, the water. The water. It's fine. Yeah. Like, listen. You know that I was just at the beach for a few days. Uh, literally the last day of the trip, I decided to walk down because I was like, I should actually at least step on the beach once while I'm here. Uh, it's, I like looking at it. I love being by it. I love having a view of it and seeing it. I'm, I'm very anti being actually in the ocean water. Like there's a lot of things out there. There's salt, there's creatures. It's scary out there. I don't want to be in there. There's salt. There's creatures. John, are you pro ocean water or anti ocean water? Not the drink. I guess. I guess I'm I guess I'm anti Yeah, you are. ocean water, but I'm pro beach if that makes sense. Different category. We we're talking about ocean water. Okay. But, but also All there's right. complications. There's nuance to this. Like Adam, when you say you like to be by the beach, do you mean on a like a patio <laughs> drinking like right, drinking and doing all that? Or do you actually like being like Going on the, the sand and whatnot? No, I hate like a like a deserted beach. Give me a beach bar, give me a exactly. beach restaurant. Oh, like yeah, man. give me a view so of the beach like and a, the beach. a table. I, here's my thing. I love a crowded beach. I love a deserted beach. No, you don't. No, no, I do. A crowded and, beach and, is the worst. And I love sightseeing. Uh, I love the water. Barrel chest. Like I'm men. going. I'm going down to Newport soon, and I will be on. I mean, I I can't get on a surfboard, but I will be on whatever it is, a boogie board. There's no I, chance. I'm a thousand. Per- no we'll call. We'll call no the way. SO off the air. No I was way. an animal last year. I want. A I couldn't video. be stopped. I want a video. Oh, I loved it. These idiots, they can't catch a wave. You wear a shirt? I'm catching. I wear, of course I wear the shirt. I wear the shirt at home in my own pool. I got to hold all this in. I'm not so, getting all sunburned. No, dude, I love I love it. Can I answer? To me, it's a competition. Got to catch the wave. Ride it all the way into the beach. And this is what I mean by nuance. I actually enjoy the ocean in terms of the water. Yes. Sand sucks. <laughs> I've actually grown to be okay with sand because I think there's enough innovations now. Where you, you know, you, you, can, mean the, you mean the public like sprayer of water, which people sit by for twenty minutes, spraying all their extremities. You lay out different things now. It's no. not like the old school towel. It's John. John, let me interject on this because this yeah. is going to shock both of you. Uh, just two days ago, was in a very heated beach volleyball game. Oh my god! <laughs> top, top Gun style. Is that right? Is that a good reference? I was, 
Oh, I was crushing it. Stop. Adam was jumping and, you know, I don't did know you what play, the term is. Did you play in jeans? No, no, no. I was out on the I was at the beach. Listen, we got off the jet skis right over to the wow. right over oh, to the man. beach volleyball match. I was Whoa. diving around. I was very sandy. John would have liked it too much sand. Uh but yeah, just you spray it off afterwards and uh high fives all around. You I, get a win and you go in. I put down my Dom Perignon after we were getting off the jet Why'd skis. Why you and... you just went in on the ocean water? You were on a jet ski, of course, then you're pro ocean. No, I stayed out of the water. No, I was though. Say, I no, top of the water. You stayed out of the water. What, you are you, what were you sitting on a jet ski on the beach? Well, you don't have to go in the water to get on a jet no. ski. You're it's on the water. It's, it's splashing a, you. It's, okay, splashing is different than getting you in. You never the water. wiped out yeah. and fell in. I didn't want to. I was avoiding all falling oh in because I didn't know what was out there. Wait. I think there was somebody got stung by a jellyfish. There was ambulances everywhere. It was crazy. Yeah. You know, here's, <laughs> here's the thing that I don't enjoy about oh, the ocean: like the massive like clump of seaweed that gets tied around your ankles and stuff. Terrible. Yeah, that's terrible. It's not a great feeling when it gets between your toes. You know what I mean? I don't really like that a lot. All right, I don't want to give too much away about our summers, but I think I'm going to be in morning. beach towns with both of you at some point this summer. Yeah. Uh, who's more likely to actually do something in the water, John or Steve? I'm going to say it's actually Steve. It's 100% me. Yeah. I mean, I'm more of like a just stand in the water and let it lap over me. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I mean, I, okay. I, I'm like Aquaman. I grew up near the beautiful beaches. <laughs> okay. Please say that as a drop. I'm, I'm like Aquaman. And I'm scared of nothing because, believe me, the New Jersey beaches back when I was growing up, not not the greatest. All right. We got like two minutes left. I'm going to put you on the spot. This is a tough one. Um, I saw the drink being demolished, right, at Koval and Harmon. So I put out the poll question on ESPN Las Vegas. What old club or bar in Las Vegas do you miss? It's You know, do you miss? It's gone. Yeah. You can pick a local bar. You can pick a, a strip bar. Not strip. You can pick strip clubs. Actually, yeah. uh, RJ Clifford from uh, SiriusXM named the Tally Ho. Like, is there a place that you miss? So I actually, I know you're going to be shocked. I actually participated in your Twitter poll oh, I today. I didn't say it yet. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, my vote, I mean, obviously the options that were that were discussed, the beach was, I love that place. It yep. was amazing. Yep. I, I wish every time I drive down uh, Paradise, I look and I'm like, oh, I wish it was back. What an incredible like experience that was when you're in college and you just go to the beach. It was wonderful. Um, but... I think I'm also like also throwing back to my college days. I have to throw in like mooses and Tom Ooh, and Jerry. I forgot to put those. I just put up my own list. I forgot about the college bars. You're right. Yeah, that whole mooses scene. and Tom and Jerry's were the spot. Tom and Jerry's like three different bars, yep. different music, different clubs. It was great. Wednesday uh, I nights, Tom I think it was. Yep. It was really popping off. Damn. All right. I also went with. I put a. I I put out as a suggestion one of our favorites because it was the weirdest place ever. That place MVPs. Okay, well, is, I don't miss it. On Jones between Trop and Flamingo, because Adam and I went in there one time, and people just kept going to the, the like the back hallway, and they never came out. And we're like, oh, what? Oh, no, be, be clear. I went in a couple times, and I told you, dude, there is something going on. I don't know what the heck is going on <laughs> in this like, place. There's a secret people room. Come in, people come in every two minutes. Yeah. They disappear. They never leave. Yep. But I don't know where they are. I don't oh. know what's happening. And so you were like, yeah, whatever. You didn't really believe my story. You thought it was insane. You came in and you were like, where are they going? We don't know. I still don't know. They disappeared. I have a, I have a special, I have, I have a special connection to that place. Do you? Really? My sister's a former employee. No. Really? Yeah. Can you find sister. out where people are going? Yeah. You got, we got to find out. We, we never had the answer. Yeah. There had also, to be there had to be like a Yayo room in the back. Something there was had something to be something. Something was going on. One of the one of the funniest things I've ever experienced there. Like I went there one night and somebody had like one of those little tiny grills that fit like two hot dogs, and they were grilling in the front of the place. They're like, hey, I want a hot dog. I'm like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> but what are you doing? 
Just grilling, man. That's what good, good, good old bars in Vegas had a uniqueness about them. So we'll continue this conversation tomorrow. We're up against it, Adam. I appreciate you jumping on, and we'll we'll see you at three o'clock. Okay. Sounds good. Talk to you guys. There is Adam Hill. Let's wrap it up. Get out of here. Weird day on Cofield and Company. Cofield and Company presents. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Very cool treat to end the show for Father's Day. We got a bunch of Father's Day gifts, but let's give out a Father's Day feast gift card to uh, Fogo. Fogo to Sean. If you haven't been there, it's amazing. Brazilian barbecue, all the meat you can eat, and the salads are great. I always, you know, joke about don't eat the salad, but it's awesome. The bread, all the sides are awesome, and it just keeps coming, man. And it's such unique stuff. Freaking dynamite. You can get your own reservations at Fogo.com. We'll do caller 7 right now. 364-1100-364-1100. So that kind of goes in line with what we were talking about earlier, John, with our poll question. And uh, we'll have that up for a couple of days because I think people will see it and be like, oh, man, and think about what bars and clubs are missing. Because we were talking about the old drink ice um, at Koval and Harmon being demolished this week over the next couple of weeks as F1 bought that piece of property. And... uh yeah, Vegas hasn't been around long, but we've got enough generations here that there's been so many different clubs on the strip and then local bars that have gone bye-bye. So we're asking, you know, like the drink, what other bars do you miss? What other clubs do you miss? And uh, we gave the choices of the Shark Club, which was a mega club. Koken used to talk about that place all the time. Willie, too. Shark Club, the beach, Circle Bar at the Hard Rock, and then, you know, we left it open to others. So I just I threw out stuff. I've been here for 26 years, going on 27 so I just throw out local bars. Um, MVPs, Kilroy's was a really good burger place. Yep. Pinkies, when I first got here, was kind of a cool you know, club slash uh, pool hall, right? Could get just buckets of beer. Um, one of my personal favorites that I don't think anyone knows about, but it closed a couple years ago, is Pandora, which uh, was an eclectic bunch there. I'll just say that. And they had karaoke. It was awesome. Uh, there was an office bar. There still is an office bar, but there was an office bar. There used to be like seven. There was an office bar on uh, Russell and Pecos, near the airport that I liked. Um, Tea Shots, which is up the hill on Green Valley Parkway. I actually lived right up there. It was right next to the apartment complex I lived in. So that was cool. And then, uh, I mean, I could name the strip clubs too, but, you know, Centerfolds out in Henderson, right by Joker's Wild. But, I mean, I could do the list on and on and on and on. I like, you know, for clubs, I actually thought Club Rio was cool at the Rio. Then 1995, I think that opened. That was, like, one of the first, like, real clubs. You know, Shark Club was... Shark Club was open before that, but it was uh, it was deemed as like the biggest disco club, you know, in the West. Rich history here. I got nothing. Well, you're you know you're not. A, I don't think you're a big drinker or a clubber, and you're younger than me. So I was gonna say, I mean, like I've been of drinking age for ten years now, yeah. and uh, all the spots I usually go to are still around. Really? Yeah. Every place. See, man, I, I've been, I've been like. My list of places I go to for bars locally has been now, like crushed. I will between say, COVID and, and other places buying them out, man, it's been going bye bye. As somebody who grew up out here, I've always wanted to go to a few places that you named. Like every time I, when I drive home from school, we drive by beach. Those were things that I would like to try. Out. You got to stop in these places because they could be gone before was, you know it. You never know, man. 